Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host Robert Washburn and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. On April 1st, Pope Francis delivered a historic apology. Speaking to a delegation from First Nations, Métis and Inuit representatives, he said he was asking for God's forgiveness for the Catholic Church's role in running portions of the residential school system. The Anglican and United Churches of Canada have already given formal apologies. For some Indigenous people, the apology is too little, too late. For others, it was an emotional, cathartic moment, lifting decades of shame and hurt over the abuse suffered by children at the schools. Alderville First Nations Chief Dave Mowat provides his perspective on the Pope's statement. He also gives insight into the history of the Protestant Church in Alderville, giving a different perspective. Here is that interview. I'm so pleased to have with me today Alderville First Nations Chief Dave Mowat. Welcome back to Consider This. Good morning, Rob. Good to be here. What was your reaction to the Pope's apology to the Canadian Indigenous people recently? Some people have said that the Pope's words made them cry. How emotional was this for you? Uh, well, it wasn't emotional for me. I might be a little cold, I guess, being the, the historian that I am. But um, And I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Um, or I'm not a Catholic. So uh, in that sense, uh, there was no emotion tied to what I was uh, reading and or informing myself on. Uh, it was simply, um, for me, just simply another step in the sort of process towards, hopefully towards reconciliation. But uh, I would have to be honest in saying I felt no emotion about it. When you were watching the events unfold, though, there were people that you knew who were there in... Rome at the Vatican who were reacting at the time were their emotions were their reactions influential on you and your reaction well I guess the, the one individual for me that stands out is Phil Fontaine um, I was uh, a student of the University of Manitoba uh, as was he uh, years before me 
uh, and I was in this. I was in the classroom uh, in the Fletcher Argue Fletcher Argue Building, actually, on campus in 1990 when Phil Fontaine disclosed his abuse in the residential school at Fort Alexander. Um, and so that was a powerful moment. I can still remember it very, very well. And uh, Phil Fontaine was a rising star coming out of Manitoba at that time. It was before he became the, uh, the, the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations. And so a number of us in uh, Winnipeg at the time uh, looked up to Phil Fontaine and uh, certain individuals like uh, Murray Sinclair, Justice Murray Sinclair, and Ovid Mercury. A lot of these uh, people were influential to a number of us going to uh, through post-secondary education as mature students at the time. Um, so I was there when he, when Phil Fontaine disclosed that, and, and um, I kind of uh, found myself uh, leaning towards what he had to say. I was interested in what his reaction. Uh, was um, and and so I sort of followed him as the as the person that I'm most familiar with, and uh, he was um, he was uh, in his view um, he believed that the the Pope was sincere, um, and for him uh, he's hoping it will do for many um, it will put to re- uh, put to rest the, the anxiety that he's felt. Uh, because he he thought that the church would never respond respond as it did uh, on April first. So for him, he was satisfied uh, with what he heard. And of course, we know that there's going to be a variety of opinions and, and uh, feelings about what was heard and seen in in Rome. But uh, I I followed uh, Phil Fontaine's sort of words more closely than anybody else. Did any of this change anything you feel about the residential school system and the Catholic Church's involvement at all? Um, well, there's this piece about the, uh, the, the call by the Pope. Excuse me. There's, a, there's a, this piece uh, underlying this story, well, part of the story, um, regarding Pope Pius sent out a call to Catholic missions in 1925, in the mid-1920s, um, looking for the donation of artifacts to uh, the 1925 Vatican Mission Exposition. And so there's a fair bit of controversy and discussion around what that produced insofar as filling up the museum in the Vatican. Um, so that's that's one issue that is continuing to be researched, um, and uh, you know I'm interested in finding out what what is at the uh, at the root of that. Um, Any of this, you know, the Pope's apology or watching Fontaine's reaction, has that changed anything you feel about the residential school system or the Catholic Church's involvement in it? Well, the Pope the Pope was careful not to really. Um, Say that it was the entire church as an institution that was involved in this, and I feel disappointed in that. It was pretty guarded in, in not sort of throwing the Catholic Church under the bus, um, and so you know that uh, 
me shows that he was guarded in what he was saying. It wasn't just a, a few <clears throat> bad apples, uh, in my view. It was an, a, an institution that uh, was moving this forward and and was, uh, you know, at, at the core of the bulk of the schools in Canada that were committing these abuses. It was the Catholic Church. So, um, in that sense, his apologies fall short. Um, I was reading an interesting piece about one of our treaty partners, Christian Island, in Georgian Bay. Yesterday I was reading an interesting piece about how the church, in the views of the writer, a former chief actually, discussed how the church divided the community uh, along religious lines and created uh, animosity between people and and uh, created factions almost in the reserve uh, when he was growing up. And so um, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, still unearthed and unknowns related to the Catholic Church's involvement in residential schools. Um, I don't feel that, uh, you know, any burden has been lifted. Um, it's really only beginning. I think the process is really only beginning. Can you tell us a bit of the history of the church in the Alderville community? Sure. Uh, Alderville First Nation, our people came from the Bay of Quinty, actually, uh, the Mississaugas of the Bay of Quinty. And it was the Mississaugas at the Bay who were heavily, heavily influenced by early settlement into what became Upper Canada. Uh, so when we go back into the 1780s after the American Revolution, when the movement of uh, what became known as Loyalists uh, moved into, among other areas, the Bay of Quinty, um, the early impact of that was felt substantially by the by the Mississauga people. Um, and, um, you know, the, the Methodists, the American Methodists, were tough itinerant preachers who followed the opening of the frontier in many places uh, in eastern North America. And so they were there at the Bay of Quinty, uh, the American Methodists, the, the uh, Episcopal Methodists. And, and they, uh, they became influential amongst our people by the 1820s, when our people fell on hard times after settlement became entrenched around the Bay. Uh, so they reached out to Methodism. And uh, it was quite a fascinating period from about 1826 to 1835, in which the Methodists uh, built a mission at Grape Island and instructed our people in uh, education, carpentry, farming, etc. So it's quite a fascinating period of time. However, it led it led to the uh, the dislocation of our people at the bay and the move to Alderville in 1837. Um, and one of my bones of contention is that the the Methodists of the day they never advocated for a larger larger land base for our people. There was a sense that our people would fall into extinction. That was the actual belief amongst the agents of change at the time, and and so I don't believe there was uh, a great deal of um, you know um, vision. There was not a great vision around how our people would survive and continue to survive, and uh, ultimately at the core of it was um, 
the things you mentioned earlier that I, I want to come back to um, is the uh, indigenous objects and sacred items that are now held by the Catholic Church. Can you elaborate on your position on the return of these pieces to the various groups across Canada? Um, well, as I mentioned briefly, there was a, a call put out by the Pope of the day in the 1920s um, to, to send out um, donate artifacts, including indigenous cultural belongings um, to the 1925 Vatican Mission Exposition. Um, and so some of the research going on now suggests that um, that the donated artifacts and, and what came to the Vatican at the time sort of glosses over the more contested history uh, around that. Um, you know, the story that children or people donated artifacts to the Vatican um, does not really get to the core of whether or not some artifacts were actually stolen. So there's research that's going on around this, and I'm interested to follow that and to see how that plays out. Um, because um, there were already bans in place. Um, the potlatch, potlatch ban, for instance, in the West, which was imposed in 1885 and was not lifted until 1951, um, that was already in place when the Vatican was receiving and or taking um, artifacts from communities and in the 1920s there were further impositions uh, of legislative sort of um, um, attempts to destroy the culture um, the Sundance um, the, the whole sort of uh, gift giving process at the First Nation level uh, this was seen as chin um, building, I suppose. On the one hand, it was seen as um, uh, an affront to what the federal government government uh, was trying to do to our people. And so um, this is a huge issue that needs to be fleshed out and it needs to be better understood by the public so that the public can be better informed as to where our concerns rest insofar as cultural appropriation and or or even the uh, the theft of uh, of, um, of certain artifacts if I could um, just on the other side of that um, in 1860 when the Prince of Wales came to Rice Lake and came to Upper Canada he came to Rice Lake and visited the, the Mississaugas on the north side of the lake and a number of the people there uh, produced some masterful pieces of work as gifts to the prince who later became King Edward VII after his mother Victoria died in 1901. So there's a whole thing of gift giving on the one hand, but then there's the other the other side of uh, the theft, if you want to call it that, theft. Um, so it's a, it's a piece of work that uh, I'm really interested in following to see how it plays out as to what the Vatican actually holds. And, uh, and uh, I'd like to learn the story of how it came into possession of some of those holdings. But do you feel these items should be returned either way uh, to Indigenous peoples uh, for them to have their culture and their heritage returned? 
between gift giving and what may have been taken. If there's evidence that things were taken, then they should be returned. Uh, in the case of our own Mississauga donations as gifts to the Prince back in 1860, those were gifts. We are actually, we've been in discussion about a tour of these gifts coming back to Canada uh, for us to see and uh, to marvel over, but they were gifts. So we don't want them back because that's that's not what they were given for in the first place. But when it comes to this other issue related to what might be held in the museums at the Vatican, um, you know, I think that it would be important to know what was taken, and it might be hard to, de- to determine that, but we should know as best as possible what was taken and what was gifted. If things were taken, they should be brought back because we're talking 1925 when people were still living on the land and is still uh, active in in uh, their traditional economies. Uh, and uh, I think it's really important that these artifacts, and you know, they might be from everything from um, clothing to canoes to kayaks, who knows? But we should know what is held and we should also know um, what was taken, if possible at all. And, and the things that were taken should be returned. Another aspect of the delegates' visit to the Vatican raised an important question of accessing records. Can you explain why they are talking about this and why it's this request is being made? Um, well, as we all know, with the discovery of the graves, um, beginning in Kamloops last year, and then at other centers across Canada, at other First Nation sites across Canada, First Nations slash residential school sites uh, across Canada, um, it's an important um, human sort of uh, quest, if you will, to know where one's ancestors are buried. And in this case, this is a sad chapter in Canadian history, so uh, accessing records to help um, fill out that uh, that sort of uh, question that hangs over people is really a, an important part of reconciliation um, and also uh, to help the families in the grieving process that has ensued for so long. Um, so it, it's only natural that the the search and the quest for, for documented evidence, if you will, for records of who may or may not have uh, perished at these schools, uh, that's critically important to this whole process that we, uh, in some cases, we uh, understand to be known as reconciliation today. I don't think reconciliation is, is possible at all until some of those uh, darker answers are, or questions are answered. Um, and reconciliation is it's quite the buzzword. It's quite the buzzword, but uh, will we ever get there fully? Uh, I have my doubts, but we got to keep pushing from all corners of, of uh, you know, First Nations in Canada. We, uh, we all have our own respective sort of um, challenges here and our own our own respective um, you know objectives when it comes to to this this, this matter um, 
so accessing records is one of the most critical, important parts to this whole story uh, that we we understand as the residential school process. It's, it's critically important. Even in Alderville, there was an industrial school in Alderville uh, that was actively um, uh, attended between 1849 and, and 1861. And uh, even we here uh, wonder if there are any graves in the old local, in the old location of the, of the school, um, and so I think uh, a lot of First Nations in, in Canada have that same question as to whether or not there are unknown graves uh, at the community level, and of course, um, what sort of documented history there is behind this this chapter. How important is it that the Pope come to Canada and repeat the apology? Uh, for those who might not understand, why is this such a significant step in your mind? Well, it would show his commitment, um, and it would further his commitment to what he said on April 1st. Um, I think it's really important for, for First Nations people, especially those, of course, affected by the Catholic Church and or those who still practice Catholicism, it's critically important for those, just like it is uh, people all over the world. Uh, I know I saw the Pope, I'm not a Catholic, but I saw the Pope in 1984 in Winnipeg, and it was, uh, uh, it was quite an amazing spectacle. I'll never forget it. Uh, again, not being a Catholic, but the entire city was completely enthralled in his visit. And like him or not, uh, that was Pope uh, John Paul II. <clears throat> like the whole institution or not, um, it was quite a profound moment. So I believe that uh, it's going to be an important step in the process of reconciliation for First Nations people, especially those who practice still today Catholicism and or those who were impacted by the Catholic, uh, by the by the Catholic run residential schools that's going to be a critically important uh, piece to the whole reconciliation uh, aspect of all of this and and I, I look forward to um, him coming to Canada um, I think it's going to play out I would hope positively and I, I just uh, I look forward to uh, when it's going to happen. I believe it'll happen this year, and uh, I uh, I'll be I'll be looking um, you know hopefully um, for what ensues after his visit. I hope that it's a strong um, reflection on his commitment to helping in the reconciliation process, and um, we'll see how it all plays out. Does this apology engender hope? Um, well, again, in the in the in the voices of some First Nations leaders, it's too late. Um, some people, even leaders in BC, uh, some said it's, the apology is too late. Other leaders in BC said um, that on April first, Friday, it was a double wild Friday. Uh, Stuart Phillip uh, from the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, he said uh, the sun is shining on the Vatican uh, after what he heard. 
and uh, other leaders in BC uh, said that the apology was too late. Um, and Phil Fontaine, as I already pointed out, he he was satisfied in what he heard, and um, he's uh, he, he believes that the Pope's commitment is sincere. So there are varying degrees of uh, opinion about this, but uh, I think generally, from what I gained and what I know so far, I think generally, yes, it does engender hope. Chief Dave Mowat, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Rob. It's always a pleasure. That was Alderville First Nations Chief Dave Mowat talking about the Pope's apology regarding the Catholic Church's treatment of Canadian Indigenous people at residential schools. If you are feeling triggered, the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1-866-925-4419. That's 1-866-925-4419. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.